If you're joining us for the first time, uh, this is the last week of a series that we've entitled Starting Point, which is our way of saying this is a good time to go deeper in your faith uh, as it relates to your faith with Jesus Christ. And so, uh, got a lot of work to do, so let's get started. Uh, if you have Bibles, we're going to go back. We just, I want to squeeze a little bit more out of the passages that we were looking at last week, if you were with us last week, and uh, Acts chapter 2. And uh, you, if you have Bibles, electronic stuff opens to that, uh, verse 42. And if not, it's going to be on the screen. Come on. If you're able to stand comfortably, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're, for some reason, physically, that's not easy for you to do, you can remain seated. All right. Here's the, everybody shout, all the believers. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. I love that. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Shout amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled this last message, The Great Invitation. And if you were with us uh, on last week, you know that I took a little time just to connect with uh, what I think we're all experiencing and feeling in this unusual season in the life of the world and our country. And uh, I reminded you, talked a little bit about the hurricanes that have swept across our land, nine to be exact. The massacre that took place in Las Vegas, 59 people senselessly murdered, 500-plus injured by a wealthy, educated 64-year-old, and all of the other chaos that we sense around us. And then, of course, this week, we have to add to it the fact that we can literally smell the smoke of devastation in the air. As we think about the fires uh, in the North Bay, over 300 people missing, 30-plus people lost their lives. Over 400 churches have been destroyed. 400. And thousands of people's homes are devastated. The reason I return to this, I just think this is a unique period in the life of the world and in our lives. Now, I haven't even talked about your personal stuff going on. And as I said last week, I just want to drill down on this. If there ever was a time that we need faith, somebody shout faith, faith. is now. And when I say faith, I'm not talking about your ability to answer the question, do you believe 
in a loving, redeeming God who will have the last word. I'm not asking you, do you believe in this God? I'm talking about having a relationship with this God. I'm talking about the kind of way that my grandaunt said to me when I was a teenager, when she um, snatched me up and made me go to get on what we call the moment, man. She said, boy, you need to know the Lord for yourself. And I guess if there's anything that these times are reminding us is no matter who you are, whatever it is that you think of yourself, this is a time that reminds us that we need to know God for ourselves. And the good news is God wants to be known by you. He, he, he wants to be embraced by you. Last week, I talked about Psalms 46. I want to go back there a little bit this morning. You know, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. Everybody shout refuge. I want you to know this word, refuge and strength. The psalmist is reminding us because they were... They were, they were so close to being wiped out by the Assyrians, and God overnight rescued them. And what the psalmist is saying is that we ought to have the kind of relationship with God that as we think about life coming unglued around us, whether it is a love affair, whether it is, in fact, your house being burned in the North Bay, or whether it is a financial Disaster is we as we think about life coming unglued around us, we ought to be able to say, I have the kind of relationship with God that I know where to run, I know where my shelter is going to be, I know where my sanctuary is going to be. For the Lord is my what shall refuge. That's what the word means. That when life comes unglued, you have a sanctuary and it's embedded in your relationship with a living God. Right? Notice the word strength. Everybody shout strength. Strength, strength. And, and that, I think this is, this is extremely important because what the psalmist is saying, I don't want you to reuse your relationship with God when I say refuge. I don't want you to reuse your relationship with God to run there. And to kind of cower in fear, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that my relationship with God is the kind of relationship, what the psalmist says, uh, it should be the kind of relationship where I run to God in the sanctuary of God, and there I find strength. Everybody shout strength. I find the strength to get up again, to keep moving forward, to keep working not just for myself, but for others to continue to be an instrument of the purpose of God's strength. I find the strength to start over again. Do we have that picture? If we have that picture, throw the picture up back there. Hey, guys, this is what I mean. This lady is the sister of one of our partners in uh, here. Uh, Chuck is his name. This stuff around her, that used to be her house. It burned down. And here she is with her hands up. 
So I asked Chuck. I said, when he showed me this picture, I said, Chuck, what? She said, I, he said, I asked her the same question. And he said, what she told me was that she is standing where her house used to be with her hands lifted because the God that she knows is a God who enables new things to rise up out of the ashes. This is a picture of what it means to know God deep enough and well enough for you to say, the fact that I know God doesn't mean that disaster will not visit me. The fact that I know God doesn't mean that I won't wake up in trouble. The fact that I know God doesn't mean that my house won't be wiped away. Brokenness of life brings all of that. But the fact that I know God means that I know that God will always have the last word and that I will be okay in God. This is Jesus who says in the Gospel of John, New Living Translation, he says, look, he doesn't pull any punches. <laughs> he says, I've told you this so that you will have peace in me. Because on this earth you will have sorrow and trial. But be of good courage. Actually, the New Living Translation says, pick up your heart. Take heart. Take heart. Everybody shout, take heart. In other words, life sometimes knock your heart down on the floor. You got to pick up that heart with a sense of courage and be prepared to move forward because Jesus says, I have overcome. I've overcome. So if you know him, you're going to be okay not because bad things won't happen. You're going to be okay because he's got the last word. Tell the person next to you, he's got the last word. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's the power of this Acts text, right? Really? The power of this Acts text is that I told you last week that, uh, that the, 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 the symbol of one of the greatest calamities in history, the death of Jesus on the cross, that that cross becomes, uh, in a few days, it becomes the symbol of hope and liberation. You know the story that a few days before this text comes into being, Jesus dies. A few days later, Peter and hundreds of others begin to testify. He lives, he lives, he lives. And so here in the, in the, in the book of Acts, what we find is that uh, uh, Peter preaches this amazing gospel message that says, he who was dead is alive. And that you need to repent, verse 38, and turn from your sins. That means your selfish, rebellious ways and turn to God and be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 41 says, in one day, those who believed Peter, 3,000 people joined the church, the community, the fellowship. Well, what does this say to us? Here's what it says to us. It says that every Jesus follower needs a community of faith. And every Jesus follower needs a plan to grow your faith. Now let me, let me I just want to drill down on this. I said this last week. I'm coming back to it again. When I was growing up in Louisiana, uh, every Tuesday night, my grand-aunt would make me go with her 
to prayer meeting. Every Tuesday night, can you say every? <laughs> I, mean, I, I wasn't smart enough then to realize how important that was. All I know was she was just disrupting the best day, part of my day, on my playtime, whatever. Come on, boy, we got to go to prayer meeting every Tuesday night. Go prayer meeting, 10, 11, 12 people show up, and they'd be praying. On a summer night on the porch, my grand aunt and uncle was talking. Of course, you know that they were, they raised me. They were in their 60s and 70s, and uh, they were thinking back when they were children about prayer meeting, the days of Jim Crow, the days of segregation, harsh segregation against African-Americans. And as they were remembering, they said they remember when prayer meeting came on whatever the night was then, that people, that the woods, because we lived in Cushada, a rural area, would be full of lanterns and flashlights as people would make their way to the church. And the church would be packed on Tuesday night for praying. Can you shout prayer? Prayer, prayer. And, 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 and the first thing that they would be praying is that they would be thanking God for what's going right. I know some of you may have grew up in this tradition and, and the prayers, you know, they, 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 the, the, those prayers worked their way all the way through history. You know, somebody would get out on their knees and they would say, Lord, I want to thank you that the bed that I laid down on last night was not my cooling board. A cooling board is what the dead bodies used to be laid on. And the, and the, and the sheep that I, the, the cover that I pull around me uh, was not my whining sheep. That's, that's, that's what they used to wrap up the dead bodies in. And, and, and I could have been sleeping in my grave, but you touched me this morning with a thing of love and my eyes came open and they were celebrating what was going right. In prayer. And then uh, they would be praying for the other stuff that would take place. Notice this psalmist that says, The Lord is my strength and my refuge, a very present time of health and a time of trouble. When I quote that, I always say, The Lord is my, that I won't be afraid. But that's not what the psalmist says, right? The psalmist uses the term we. He says, The Lord is our strength, our refuge and strength, and that we will not be afraid. Tell the person next to you, you need a we. And if those folk who prayed back in the day when my grand aunt and uncle was talking about, if they were here today, they would say, Yes, we had a we when life was troubled and broken. We ran to the church, and in prayer, we had a we. And you think you're having a hard time now. If they was alive, they would say, wait a moment. We can look back and remember all of the hardship, all of the pain, all of the hopelessness that was seen. But the God that we pray to has proven to be a faithful God. So faithful. One poet puts it this way, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. That was just his way of saying, God is faithful. But you need community to get there. 
It's not sufficient enough just for you to say, I'm going to believe it by myself. You need, a, you need a we like the folk who showed up on Tuesday night on those prayers. You need to be able not just to go off on Facebook or to go off on Twitter. You want to do all that. That's fine. But at the end of the day, when your life is coming unglued, going off on Facebook and Twitter is not really going to help you. But if you can run to a place like this and gather with other people who can help you to believe, who can pray with you, who can encourage your faith, that's how you can make it, declaring the Lord is my refuge and my strength. Shall we? We need a community. We need a community. The other, several weeks ago, I had an opportunity after teaching and gathering to go out, I met this lady. She had come all the way from Germany. And she just blew me away. She said to me that every weekend in her home in Germany, she watches our teaching. And with tears coming down her cheeks, she said to me that the teaching that she watches every week has transformed her life. And she said she just had to find a way coming to the States to make sure that she could get here to sit in person to experience the teaching. Now, I just have to say to you, I was humbled. I was so moved. I mean, you know, to tell you the truth, I didn't share this with the other two gatherings. So, you know, tell, tell the person next to you, I'm glad you came to 12 noon. You get a little extra. <laughs> here's what I was thinking. I, I didn't say it, but here's what I was thinking. I mean, I'm that little special education kid, the scarred kid that God would raise up and used so that somebody in Germany. See, that's the God you need to know. That's the God that can take anybody in ashes and raise you up. You need to know that God. But here's the point I'm trying to make. When she finished and we talked and I left, as awesome as it was to hear she was watching in Germany. I hear other people watching other places. And if this goes off on, on video, I want people to keep watching and think that's fabulous. But here's the truth. Watching me or any other preacher on video or TV or on your computer screen, as good as it is, will never be an adequate substitute for being a part of a community of faith. Never. Never. We need a community. You know, the um, 400 churches was lost in the bay. I got a message this morning, and we're going to do this afterwards, where the pastors have sent word to us and said, look, we know that we thank you for the Resources that you're going to send, and we're going to raise lots of money here, and we're going to send it to help them because we want to be on the ground helpful to them. But they said, in addition to all of that, what we would just really like is that if you just take out an iPhone and just video a few words of encouragement to send it. 
See, 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 you can be, you, you can watch me all day long, but if you are not a part of a community, see, you need to be a part of a community of faith because there will come a time in your life, you just need to hear a few words of encouragement. You just need to hear somebody affirm for you. You, you, you ought to be able to come to a church like this and say, you know, right, today I don't feel like believing. Today my life is full of doubt. And you ought to be able to have some people gather around you and say, that's okay. You don't have to believe today. We're going to believe for you. That's the power of community. You need a community. Faith that you're sold out to. Now, uh, the, the text gives us several reasons. I'm going to run through them real quick because we talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, but I just want to lay it out, the elements, because not only do you need a community, you need a plan. Shout plan. These are the elements that are, that are, that are active in any in a plan. So it says, first of all, that the, 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 these people, uh, in verse 42, they were devoted. Shout devoted. That means they were sold out despite hardship that they would, they would, they would be committed to these things that are laid out. The first thing they let out was apostles' teaching. That's practical teaching, of course. But it went on to say uh, they were committed to fellowship. And inside of the fellowship, they said, uh, this included the Lord's Supper. That's a sacrament of life of the church. And in verse 41, you, you saw thousands of people get baptized. That's another sacrament inside the life of the church. And so what this reminds us of is simply this, that only in the church, y'all, do you have the Lord's Supper that will remind you on a regular basis that God is for you and with you? And only in the church, you all, will you get to just, just see this picture with me for a moment. 3,000 people got baptized, y'all. So it's not just the one person, not just about me getting baptized. I get to look around and see other people, my aunts, my sisters, my friends, my next door neighbors, making a profession of faith in Jesus, saying, I used to live life on my own terms. Now I'm going to trust Jesus with my, with, my, with my present and my destiny. And when you watch hundreds of people like that be baptized and, 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 and profess their faith, nothing reinvigorates your ability to believe as much as watching other people confess their ability to believe. That's the gift of the community. Then you add to that some donuts and some burritos and <laughs> fellowship. Shout fellowship. Right? And in the community is where you learn how to, how to, to give, right? And in the community... It's where you have people to pray for you, all these elements that was there. But here's, here's an important thing. In a community of faith is where you learn how to love people who are hard to love. You get to practice it. Now check this out. Stand in a room all by yourself. It's easy to love. It's easy to love. Let me take you one further. Take a picture of, take several pictures of all your family members. 10, 50, 100 of them. Just put them on the wall. Big group over there, big group over there, big group over there. And you stand back and look at those pictures. It's so easy for you to say, oh, I love them. Oh, I just love them. I just love them. I'm so happy they're part of my family. To love them. Well, let them bookers come out of that picture. Show up in your house. Come on now. <laughs> uh, some of you, I'll give you two hours before you start kicking people out. 
because it's one thing to love me in a picture. Come on now. It's a whole nother thing to be in community with me, to love me. And if you want to be more like Jesus, you have to learn how to love people who are difficult to love. After all, that's what Jesus does with you. Tell the person next to you, wow, I didn't see it, but he just talked about me. It was just really quick. <laughs> There's one other element in this text. It's not, it's not obvious, but it's there. It's in the text. Everybody shout, serve. It's in the text. If you just look closely, it's in the text. Watch this. Watch this. It says they're devoted to the apostles' teachings. Well, check this out. In order for the apostles to teach these thousands and thousands of people, they had to spend Tons of time going through the Hebrew Scriptures, figuring out what part of the Hebrew Scriptures actually applied to who Jesus was. They had to spend tons of time working with each other, figuring out, okay, he's poured into us, Jesus that is, over the last three years. What portions of his teachings will we take and, and qualify and quantify and begin to teach in a kind of systematic way so that people will understand what it means to follow Jesus. It meant that they had to take tons of time, talking about these apostles, in prayer and in preparation, day in and day out, in order to serve the people. Listen, on any given Sunday that you come here, at my worst, I've spent somewhere between eight to 10 hours preparing for you. At my best, somewhere between 14 and 15 hours preparing for you to serve Shout serve. In the text it says they sold their property and possessions to give to the need. Well, wait a minute. There's a whole lot of people serving there. I mean, somebody had to qualify the property, had to get the property organized that was going to be sold. Somebody had to be accountants and, and be accountable for all of the money and be, make sure the money was being taken care of. Teams of people had to figure out, okay, out of this, who, what needs can we serve? What needs do we think we can serve? They had to line up hundreds of people who were widows and, 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 and homeless and, and, and figure out, okay, how are we going to provide for these various needs? Hundreds of people were serving. And you shall serve. They said they opened up their house, opened up their homes, and, and they were meeting in homes all over Jerusalem. That means that people were volunteering and said, come, I'm open up my house. I gotta, that means I got to clean up my living room, clean up my kitchen. Can you shall serve? Serve. That means uh, somebody's got to facilitate the meeting. Somebody's got to do the cooking. Somebody's got to do, uh, do the serving. Somebody's got to do the teaching. This text is full of serving. Now, here's the point I'm making. Listen to me. I don't care how much, how often you come here and listen to great singing and listen to me teach. I'm, I'm elated if you walk out and say, man, the message is really good today. But your spiritual growth, if you're here every Sunday and you listen and you walk, and you listen, and you walk. Your spiritual growth has a lid on it because there's a part about who Jesus is. There's an understanding of the love of Jesus. There's an, there's an understanding of the love of this one called Jesus who gave himself away for you that you can never enter into until you start practicing giving yourself away. 
you're not serving. There's a part of your faith that's stagnant. I said this earlier, and people kind of like, was kind of tripped out that I actually used this example. I'm going to ask this question, so I just think i just trip you out again because it's the last gathering. Uh, uh, how many of you remember your first kiss? Don't raise your hand, just ask you. <laughs> All right. Just think about it this way. Can you teach somebody how to have the first kiss without them kissing? I mean, come on. If it was me, I'd tell you, yes, look, well, let's go to the dictionary. We'll define it. The kiss is, this is the dictionary says, here's the definition. It said, okay, if you're getting ready to do the kiss, I remember my first kiss with Rhonda. I can tell you're going to be nervous and, and shaky, and, 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 and it's nice if you ask. If you ask, it's an ask. You might want to ask. You might want to ask. And, and, and I can talk about how you, I mean, you might want to position your lips this way and so forth and so on. And I said, now, take notes, take notes, take notes. Write it down, write it down, write it down. Say, now memorize it. <laughs> memorize it. Say it back to me. Say it back to me. Go step one, step two, step three. You get to say it back. Step three. Now, do you know how to kiss? Uh-uh. Because there's something about the experience of kissing that requires kissing. <laughs> there is something about knowing Jesus who gave himself on Calvary's cross. He's defined, his character is defined by this notion of giving himself away. There is something about knowing Jesus that requires me to practice giving myself away. It it, it pulls me out of my selfishness. It drives, it shatters my self-centeredness. Focuses me on others. Shout, sir! Now you learn that in community. You can't get there just by watching me on TV. Learn that in community. And then, of course, shout, joy. Joy. They did it all with joy, as the text says. So they did it all with joy. That is one of the ways that you know you're right. Good. You're in the right community. You know, there's practical teaching and. There's prayer and there's the ability to connect in small groups and big groups, small groups, all that kind of stuff to serve. The community is giving and it's generous, it's teaching you to give. But when you think about going, there's joy. There's joy. Now, the flip side of this, I just shared with you all the public stuff. This is what we do together. But to really move to the next level of your faith, develop your plan, for every public side of this stuff, there's a private side. So practical teaching means also that in your private life, you're engaging with Scripture on a daily basis. I would suggest you're doing your own devotion. Listen, who do you know eat once a week? If the only time you engage Scripture and learn from Scripture is when you come to church, you're malnutrition. But you've got to teach yourself how to feed yourself. There are websites, version, for example. They have Scripture and devotion. You can just go there and they, they walk you through. Here's the Scripture, here's a reflection on it. And every day, teach yourself to feed yourself. 
Shout relationships. All right, let me take you back. Remember those of you back in the day, because I know you don't go to the clubs anymore, but you remember when you used to go to the clubs, that it was always fun to go to the club with somebody because that somebody, the groups of friends that went to the club with you, they taught you where to sit. They taught you, come on now, how to come on to the person of the other sex. You know, they taught you. It was just a lot of fun to go with your friends, right? Somebody shout white because you know you know the clubs. <laughs> right. Those of you who used to drink, I know you don't drink anymore, praise God, but when you used to drink, wasn't it always more fun to drink with some buddies? Yeah, you say it, man. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if, in fact, those of you on your job, when you learned how to do your job well, wasn't it because some colleagues came around you and they really helped you to kind of excel in your job? If, in fact, you need friends to help you to learn how to navigate the club and friends in your past and friends to help you to learn how to drink in your past, you see, and, 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 and friends to help you to succeed well on your job, doesn't it make sense that you need friends to help you to grow in your faith? Friends, people to pray with you. Study God's words with you. Church gives you that. That's had to be a private discipline, though. And of course, there's giving and there's serving. These are all disciplines you have to work out. All right. Here's where I want to end. Come on, shout plan. Tell the person next to you, I need a plan. Tell them, I need a plan to grow my so I want to end this with giving you some really practical. We've come up with three templates. All the stuff I talked about, these are elements that ought to be in your plan. But how do I shape? How do I think about a plan or a roadmap over the course of the next year? If I really want to grow my faith over the course of the next year, what does that look like? So we've come up with three templates uh, that, that reflects the three different ways that we kind of look at life. The first template is that some of us, when we look at life, we look at life in compartments. Family, friendships, health, work, church, and finances. But if, in fact, Jesus is, in fact, the center of your life, all of those compartments ought to be used to help you to get closer to him, to grow in your faith. So here's some examples. And by the way, if you go to our website, you can pull this down. All these examples I'm giving, these three templates, you can go to our website and pull these down. So here's some examples of how this would look. For On the family, you, you might set a goal that over the course of next year, I want to plan at least one weekly family devotion. Watch this. Next. Uh, uh, on the friendships, you might say, I want to develop a weekly prayer time with one of my friends. All right? uh, each, each department of your life should be driving you deeper into your faith. Uh, on the health, you might say, I want to exercise three times a week, and I want to do it in a way that's going to help me to connect more with God. My wife runs three times a week, and when she runs, that's when she prays. She prays as she runs. How might you do that? On the work, you might say, I want to think of my work as a place where I can share God's love through my work. What would that look like? This is an example. Come on. Next. On the, on the church, you say, you know what? Over the next year, I want to make sure that I join a serving ministry and serve, right? Uh, uh, the next component on the finances, I, I'm going to develop a giving plan to support the work of my church. In every box of your life, there should be a strategy to help you to get to know Jesus better, to grow in your faith. All right, here's how other people think. Some people think, I need a goal and some action steps. Everybody shout, goal, 
Child action steps. That's how some of us are shaped, right? So here's one example. Here's where I might go. You might set a goal and say over the course of the next year, here's what I want to do. I want to go 10 minutes daily time with God. I need some action plans, right? So I'm going to hit number one, schedule time and pick a place, find a Bible, either an app or print it, find a devotional. That means I'm going to, so that I can read, reflect, and pray. If you're that kind of person, this is the way you want to go. Or the third template is, some of us, we think about life just kind of different. We think, we say, we want to focus on, over the next year, we want to focus on one thing for three months, then next three months, we're going to focus on this, the next three months, the next three months. That's kind of how you design. So here's an example, right? First three months, you may say, I want to build a consistent prayer life. I'm, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to work on that for the first three months. And then... The next three to six months, you say, you know what? I'm going to find the right life group. I may have to rotate through several life groups, but I'm going to find the right one and begin to build relationships inside of that, small groups. The next six to nine, you may say, you know what? And then I'm going to sign up for a serving ministry. I'm going to find the right place for me to serve and the right rhythm for me to serve. And then the last uh, nine or 12 months, you're talking about your spiritual growth plan over the course of the next year. You may say, you know what? I don't just want to be in a small group. You know, I want to lead a small group. I'm going to invite some of my friends from work and Recreation, who know me and trust me into my small group. Can you shout plan? You need, if you're serious about growing your faith, if you're serious about getting to know Jesus better, doesn't it make sense? Don't you need a plan? Well, let me end this here. None of this matters. Listen to me good. None of this matters if for you, Jesus is only Savior, but not Lord. Shout Lord. And for some of us, we want Jesus to be Savior. We want him to be our rescuer. We want him to raise us out of the ashes, but we don't want him to be Lord. But if you want real transformation in your life, Jesus says, this is the great invitation. I don't just want to rescue you, and yes, I do want to rescue you, and I don't just want to love you, and I do want to love you, but the best way for me to love you and to keep you saved and safe is to be your Lord. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, this is what Peter declares. He says, he says I want to declare to all of Israel, this same Jesus who you crucified, God has raised him from the dead and has made him Lord and Christ. Philippians, one of my favorite passages, 2 verses 10 through 11, Paul puts it this way in the most powerful way. He said, listen, <laughs> I just want you to know it's a hymn that, that they were re reframing their faith around. He says, look, here's the deal. The day will come when every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue shall declare that Jesus is what? See, let me just give you a news break. CNN may not share this with you, so I'm going to share it with you. MSNBC, Fox News. I, I didn't get this off of their wire. I got it from a higher wire. Watch this. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the universe. He is Lord of the creation. He is Lord. The question is, will you allow him to be Lord in your life? 
Will you live a life to please him? Will you live a life to glorify him? Will you, will you live a life that says, if God is calling me to do it, I'm going to stretch and do it. And if God is calling me not to do it, I'm going to stretch and not do it because he's Lord. Not perfectly. You won't do it perfectly. But faithfully. Here's my hand. Jesus is my favorite. He, he, he really doesn't drive control. Some of us don't like church because we feel like this is the place to be controlled. If, if they're controlling you, that's an unhealthy church. Jesus says, I don't need to control you. I want to challenge you with a great invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3. And if anyone, don't care who you are, don't care what your history is. Don't care how weak your faith is. If anyone will open up the door of your heart, I will come in and, 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 and have an intimate relationship with you. And, 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 and wherever he's allowed to be Jesus, he's Lord. And so I don't think that God is causing all this crazy stuff that's happening around us. But I do think he's using it as a huge echo trainer to give you and me a great invitation to say, hey, don't trust your money. Don't trust your relationships. Don't trust your house. Make me Lord and Savior. Give God a hand, praise. Mm -hmm.